Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Chicago had 178 murders during the first four months of the year. It's now up to about 184. That's slightly fewer than last year, but CPD is talking about some shifts as we head into the summer, when violence tends to surge. Here's Police Superintendent David Brown explaining. The community safety team was very purposeful, grown to deal with large-scale civil unrest, large-scale looting, large-scale criminality most of 2020 and into 2021. So we're unwinding that model and pivoting into beat policing. Joining us now with more is WBEZ criminal justice reporter Chip Mitchell. Welcome back, Chip. Good afternoon, Sasha. Give us an update, Chip. What do Chicago's murder numbers look like right now? Well, right now we're at about 184 murders on the year. Um, That year-to-day total through Monday, it was down 9% from last year. And there's been an even bigger drop in shooting victimizations, Sasha. They're down more than 17% on the year. Okay. Now, there's, of course, a big caveat. We're we're comparing this year, 2022, to 2021, Mm -hmm. uh, which ended up with around 800 murders, and that's the most in a quarter century. Um, So it would be a big mistake to say that A shooting surge that started two years ago, you know, with the pandemic and the civil unrest after George Floyd's murder by Minneapolis police, that that shooting surge is over with. But it's possible that we are now starting the downside of that surge. Well, I I did hear you say things are trending downward. So should we be optimistic for the summer? Yeah, they're just starting to maybe trend downward. Um, the last big shooting surge in Chicago, it was just a couple of years earlier. It seemed linked to the uh, outrage over the video of the police shooting of Laquan McDonald. Um, that shooting surge lasted more than a year and a half, and it took another year or two until 2019 before the city was back down to around 500 murders a year, you know, back down to the intensity of killing that we've had for the previous 15 years a horrific level. Yeah. At that level, you know, when it was, you know, 450, 480, 500 levels, we had, you know, we had politicians and police superintendents patting themselves on the back and they got away with it because unlike now, the violence wasn't spilling as much into wealthier areas like downtown, River North, the Gold Coast. So the people who live in those areas or who just went there to work or shop, they had an easier time ignoring the violence, Sasha, and things really festered in the, the poorest neighborhoods. Um, you know, housing segregation, extreme poverty, police violence. And, um, you know, we, we've had now uh, four of the last six years with really elevated violence. And, you know, I, I, I think um, it would be a reasonable conclusion that uh, chickens are coming home to roost right now. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about victims, Chip. Who in Chicago is most vulnerable to these violent crimes? Well, the the victims and presumably the perpetrators are overwhelmingly young men 
in their 20s, about three quarters of them are black and most of the rest of them, Sasha, are Latino. And where are we seeing the highest rates of, of this violent crime? Yeah, over over the years, um, it's really concentrated the, the gun violence into just a few parts of the city, especially it's really the poorest neighborhoods of the south and west sides. Are we seeing other crimes rise right now, Chip? Yeah, um, and this is something a little different. Um, uh, city data show that carjackings so far this year are up about 5% um, from last year, and that was a really bad year last year. The police have blamed young people seeking joy, joy rides for that increase, um, but our colleague Patrick Smith, uh, my colleague on the criminal justice desk here yeah. at WBZ, he reported last week about some University of Chicago research showing that most of these carjacked vehicles are never found. So it could be that the surge um, might actually not be joyriding, but it, it might be that might be that most of these cars are getting sold on the black market. So that it would be more of an economic crime, Sasha. Um, another crime that's up this year, and it would fit that economic motive. That crime is robberies. They're up more than 18 percent from last year, Sasha. Wow. Um, crime on the CTA, that's also been a concern lately, Chip. Uh, the city's added security to some stations. But I'm looking at these headlines every day as, you know, I've got a daughter that takes it every day to get to school mm -hmm. and, and back home. It's still scary, right? And so what is the police department doing or what are they saying they're doing? Yeah, there's, uh, you know, speaking of economic crimes, there's been a, a rash of robberies um, this year on the CTA, some involving stabbings um, just overnight. Talking just a few hours ago, there was a robbery at Knife Point at a red line station downtown. And there have even been some shootings at CTA stations this year. CTA employees, Sasha, and their unions, they've been expressing frustration about their safety at work for years. It's not just in recent months. Um, a couple months ago, city and police officials unveiled a plan to beef up security on the CTA using uh, both police officers and unarmed private security guards. But Mayor Lightfoot, she's running for re-election next year. She's under pressure to do more. This week, Sasha, she acknowledged that more resources need to be committed to the CTA for security, but it remains to be seen what uh, this means. Sticking with Superintendent David Brown here, Chip, uh, he's been saying that CPD is going to be abandoning what he calls a, a crisis model. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about how the city managed the civil unrest in 2020 that we mentioned and the, the gun violence surge that started that year that we're still, in, you know, we're still dealing with. Um, that's mainly meant pulling officers from local districts to staff citywide units. Um, they sent in cops to hotspots for protests and gun violence, and that was the main uh, response to this gun violence surge. But in recent months, uh, Brown has thinned out the ranks of those citywide units. And now he's talking about putting more police resources into 55 beats that have accounted for half the city's violence in, re in recent years. So it's back to a neighborhood focus, Sasha. Yeah. Well, CPD then is going to be shifting resources to beat patrols in, in the yeah. neighborhoods that are most vulnerable? Yeah. And so what do you, so what do you theory, think that's going to look like, Chip? Because you, you've been well, covering this for a while. Yeah, theoretically, it means that people in these neighborhoods will have better odds of actually knowing the cops that they see in the streets that and they might be on patrol there. They might they might see them often. 
Um, it'll mean that those officers have stronger ties to the community and more knowledge of, of where they're working and that they might be more effective. And it, it, it could be things like they could actually observe crimes. It could be that they actually um, develop contacts and relationships that make it easier for detectives to solve the crimes. So, yeah, it could it could make a difference. Yeah, I'm, I I wonder about that, though, because I, I know that relations, you know, police community relations in the, some of those neighborhoods uh, is is really tough. Right. It's, it's it's been strained over over a number of years. And sometimes just the sight of the, the patrol car is, is a deterrent for folks. So, I mean, it would be nice for for them to um, for this recognition to, to really help and, and trend things in the right direction. But I'm I'm, I'm not so sure. Well, yeah, for a long time, you know, decades, folks who live in some of these same neighborhoods that we're talking about, a lot of folks see the police as an occupying force. Police department is still about half white, and um, the residents of these neighborhoods uh, that are dealing with gun violence are overwhelmingly African-American and Latino. So, yeah, the, the, the relations are strained. Actually, right now, I'm looking at new research about 160 potential criminal crews that have operated in the police department over the last 50 years. Um, you'll be hearing more about that on the radio and, and uh, online at WBZ.org. So, yeah, there are deep problems with community relations oh, between yeah. communities and the police. Yeah, I knew it was more than just a hunch, Chip. Uh, well, before I let you go, tell us what else you're going to be paying attention to as as seasons change. I, I, I think they're changing. It's still freezing outside. Yeah, we'll see if it ever warms up. Um, you, you know, murder and shootings, they typically rise, they, you know, always they rise in the summer months. Will will that, compared to last summer, though, will will these murder and shooting numbers stay down? You know, will, will, will they continue to decline? I'll be watching that. And if so, you know, will, will this shooting surge continue to wind down? Will we go back to the, the regular horrific levels, you know, less than 500 murders a year, horrific as they may be, it would be an improvement. Um, and then, of course, you know, uh, there will be a lot of uh, research and a lot of people look, including me and you know, researchers at uh, uh, the University of Chicago, Northwestern University, UIC, with the big mm-hmm. criminology departments, looking at what accounted for uh, bringing those uh, the, those violence numbers down. How much of it has to do with police strategies? How much of it has to do with the tens of millions of dollars that the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois have put into street outreach, you know, sending out guys who've been in, in prison, who used to be in gangs, sending them out to uh, resolve conflicts and to uh, and recriminate, you know, head off recriminations and, and try to put a damper on the gun violence, Sasha. That's Chip Mitchell, uh, WBEZ criminal justice reporter. Thank you for talking with us, Chip. My pleasure, Sasha. We're now going to turn to a different sort of crime, anti-Semitic incidents, attacks, and hate crimes. They've been on the rise. A new report by the Anti-Defamation League shows there was a 34% increase in anti-Jewish incidents in 2021 compared with 2020. And those incidents don't seem to be stopping. On the heels of that report on Holocaust Remembrance Day, some residents in North Suburban Highland Park in Glencoe woke up to find anti-Semitic leaflets outside their homes. Joining us now to discuss is Nancy Rotering, mayor of Highland Park. Welcome back, Mayor. Thanks. Hi, Sasha. And Trent Spoolstra, Associate Regional Director of the Anti-Defamation League. Welcome to Reset, Trent. Hi, Sasha. Thank you so much for having me. Mayor Rotering, I'll, I'll start with you. First of all, very sorry that your, your residents had this experience. So can you talk more about what happened last Thursday? Thank you. Um, Starting very early in the morning, I was getting texts from several residents in Southeast Highland Park 
about packets that had been left on their driveways, uh, sandwich-sized Ziploc bags with 9 to 11 sheets of just hate and garbage uh, left with rocks or beans to hold them in place. And so several people had mentioned that they were collecting them uh, before school kids walked to school. But on um, Yom HaShoah of all days, it really was a particularly bitter and uh, and nasty thing to do to folks. Mm. What was on the leaflets or, or the flyers? It's uh, it's every white supremacist trope you could think of, um, on and on about um, Zionists or communists, Jews are in charge of the government. I mean, the usual garbage and nonsense uh, that these folks like to perpetuate. And we know it comes from an organization out of Petaluma, California. Uh, they've dropped these leaflets in California, Colorado, um, I believe in Florida, and obviously now in the suburbs of Chicago. We saw um, Glenview receive similar leaflets uh, a few weeks ago. Um, it's just sort of a, a nasty way of, of putting garbage um, onto people's property, and, and it needs to stop. It's hate speech. This leafleting was done in the middle of the nightmare. Do police have any idea who distributed this? Not that I'm aware of. I know that our agencies are working together across Chicagoland and with the FBI, and I know folks have been in touch throughout the country. Obviously, somebody local felt that they needed to be the agent for this group, and we're waiting to hear from folks who have ring doorbells to see if they were able to capture any video. Trent, let's bring you in here. Give us your thoughts on this particular incident. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, sadly, this is not the first time that this happened, as Mayor Rotering pointed out. And in fact, it's actually a latest string of anti-Semitic flyering that is taking place, not just on the North Shore, but really nationally as well, too. And we are seeing flyering that targets not only people of the Jewish community, but people of the African-American community, people in the Latinx community. Mm -hmm. And the sad part is, is that Wiring essentially is low cost, low risk, and high impact for white supremacist groups, which is why it's becoming more and more, more frequent as of late. Is this something, in your opinion, that, that, that should be investigated as a hate crime? Absolutely. No, we definitely believe that this definitely has crossed into that path of hate crimes. And we know that with flyering, and to Mayor Rodering's point, that this happened on Yamashoa, we at ADL believe that that is not a coincidence. Right, Yamashoa is the day to commemorate these six million Jews that were murdered mm -hmm. during the Holocaust, and the fact that flyering is taking place in cities and villages on the north side of Chicago that are predominantly Jewish, we believe that yes, this should be considered a hate crime and investigated further. And what exactly does constitute you know, a hate crime? Absolutely, yes. I mean, a hate crime, yeah, it can be. So, for instance, we have our anti-Semitic audit. Uh, that comes out annually, and we track things such as harassment. We track things of uh, vandalism. Uh, we track things of assault as well, too. Those are our big three categories that we focus on. And regarding how this ties into hate crimes, with flyering, um, it's really just a handful of, of white supremacist organizations that we believe that are responsible for this. But as it relates to hate crimes specifically, that we know that they are targeting either uh, neighborhoods that have predominantly high Jewish populations, or some of this flyering is right down the street from major synagogues that are located on the north side of Chicago. Wow. Mayor Rotering, Highland Park's got many Jewish residents, right? So talk about the mood right now. 
Well, the mood to begin with on Yom HaShoah is always solemn and sad. Um, and for so many people in Highland Park, it's not just a day. It is a day that has affected them personally, their families personally. They may feel the loss or they may have relatives who are still working through the trauma of having survived the Holocaust. So it is way more personal than just a day of commemoration. And to that end, to then have this added, um, and several of the, the folks that I heard from are not Jewish, but they still recognize and feel the, the sense of inclusivity that we have here in Highland Park. We have a very strong statement against hate. We always take a stand um, towards inclusion and against hate. So we are one community, uh, whether people are Jewish or not, who receive this. Yeah. Uh, there is always that, that part of the conversation. Well, Mayor, what are you saying to them to help try to reassure them? Um, that we stand together against hate. This has been a theme of ours for a long time, and uh, we will not tolerate this. Um, people have mentioned to me they appreciated the speed with which the city and I both issued statements taking a stand against this action, and uh, we will continue to do so. This is just not reflective of who we are as a community, and we will not tolerate it. Trent, let's pivot to the report that the ADL released just a few days ago, actually, showing a dramatic spike across the country in, in anti-Semitic incidents. Talk about that report and what it shows. Absolutely. So we have been doing this report on an annual basis since 1979, so for over 40 years now. 2021 was by far the highest number of recorded incidences that since we started tracking in 1979. Uh, and sadly, we have seen this trend of incredibly high numbers really began back in 2015, 2016. So this is a phenomenon that has existed now for about five or six years. In 2021, there were over 2,700 anti-Semitic incidences across the United States. And to put that another way, that is seven anti-Semitic incidences per day. Mm. So these numbers are incredibly high. Uh, here in Illinois, unfortunately, 2021, our state of Illinois was in the top 20 of anti-Semitic incidences. And since 2016, we've actually seen a 400% increase in anti-Semitic instances here in our state. Goodness. Any thoughts, Trent, as to what's behind the increase? You know, unfortunately, it is not a simple answer. Uh, I wish it was. It certainly would make my job a lot easier here at ADL. But right. we believe it's a combination of, of a few things that, given the, the political discourse that has taken place across the United States in the last five or six years, uh, we are coming off of two very controversial, very contentious political elections. Um, of course, there's COVID. So in the last couple of years, we have been dealing with a pandemic that we haven't seen in a century. And I think finally, it comes down to things as simple as ignorance, that people who have never met somebody who's different from them, right, if you've never met a Jewish person before, you rely on stereotypes, uh, you rely on what you might see on TV or on the internet. And if they are not good things, you will read things that use horrible anti-Semitic tropes that Jews are out to take over the world or that they're greedy, right, or they have dual loyalty. Uh, so it's, it's probably a combination of those three things that, that we are the reasoning of why we're experiencing such high rates of anti-Semitism. Mayor Rotering, what are some possible solutions here? I think talking about it directly, and it's interesting, I teach at Northwestern, and the fellow who precedes me in my classroom is a specialist on, unfortunately, the Holocaust. And he mentioned that um, as people become more secure, more comfortable, more supported by their communities, 
they're talking more about these incidents and that while things like this may have happened in the past, people kept it to themselves. And so calling it out for what it is, calling it hate, which is what it is, um, talking about it, and, and again, having folks across all spectrums supporting each other and discussing that they will not tolerate this yeah. type of nonsense, getting people out of their silos and talking about the pain of what this type of uh, hate can imply for an organ for a society is one of the ways to talk about it and to, to make it more almost um, unacceptable across the public realm. You know, previously people would stay with their groups, but we now have much more of a focus publicly on helping each other, including each other, supporting each other. And I think that really goes a long way towards diminishing the ability to hide behind these stereotypes. Is there anything your office is doing? Uh, we previously have done citywide uh, year-long conversations around bullying, uh, anti-bullying, and we continue to stand behind our statement against hate and, again, publicly talk about how Highland Park is inclusive and won't tolerate this type of behavior. Yeah. Trent, the mayor mentioned a moment ago how, how things have shifted, right? We went from this period of time where people weren't reporting these things or, or they weren't talking about them to now, of course, seeing instances and more and more instances. Do you think the public is taking anti-Semitic speech and, and these incidents seriously enough? I think, sadly, the fact that this has been going on now for the last five or six years, um, that this was not, so for instance, 2021 was not a fluke year, right? It wasn't, you know, that anti-Semitism acts were super low and then it just shot up. The fact that this is happening consistently now for the last five or six years, I think more Americans are tuning in and recognizing that hate in general and anti-Semitism specifically are on the rise here in America. And so it's up to organizations like ADL to educate the public yeah. and to tell them, please continue to report these instances because, yes, we had 2,700 instances last year. But think about the number of anti-Semitic instances that are not reported. Uh, because people still might have a fear of, of speaking out. So we tell people, please report these numbers. I just think it's important to note, you know, as Jews are 2% of the population, but at least 58% of religiously motivated hate speech, it's so disproportionate. Um, and I think it bears discussing, you know, why it is that this has been acceptable for so long. So I just wanted to raise that point. Trent, is there something additional that our government and... Um the public even could do to, to make sure that these sorts of, of hate incidents don't just keep happening? Absolutely. Yeah. So at ADL, we have a phrase that we tell people in terms of how to get involved or how to fight back. And we say, speak out, share facts, and then show strength. Regarding speaking out, when instances like these happen, please report them to local law enforcement. Or you can report to ADL.org as well, too, right? So to make sure that we have the most accurate numbers possible. Regarding sharing facts, I do a number of presentations across Chicago land area in the Midwest region, and I think people are in some ways shocked that anti-Semitism is on the rise here in America, but it's important to educate ourselves to make sure that we know what's going on. And then finally, to show strength, ADL Midwest, we congratulate and we applaud Mayor Rotering and the city of Highland Park for speaking out. We need more public leaders and we need more government officials to do that same thing, to show that there is unity and that together we can work to really counter the plague that is hate affecting our society today. Speak out, share facts, and show strength. Sounds good. That is Trent Spoolstra. 
Associate Regional Director of the Anti-Defamation League. Also, Highland Park Mayor Nancy Rotering. Thank you both. That's all for today's Reset Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, give us a rating. It helps other listeners just like you find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll have a new episode for you tomorrow right here on your feed. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.